Before we get to today's headlines, we're excited to invite you all to dig into bonus content, engage with the Murder Minute community, and talk to show creators on Himalaya Plus. Download the Himalaya app to get these perks and early access to episodes. The first 500 subscribers will be entered to win a $500 gift card. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the story of Robert Leroy Anderson and the search for Piper Striley. But first, your true crime headlines. A trial is underway in Kentucky for Amanda Needy, who was accused of orchestrating the murder-for-hire killing of her child's father. Needy and the victim, 33-year-old Nick Morris, were the parents of a three-year-old daughter and were involved in a custody dispute at the time of the murder. Needy is accused of trying to hire her roommate, Timothy Singer, to carry out the killing. Singer testified that he killed Morris because Needy convinced him that Morris was violent and manipulative, and she feared that he would be granted custody of the three-year-old. A detailed map of Morris's house was found in Singer's bedroom by police, which Singer said was drawn for him by Needy. The initial plan had been to kill Morris at his home, but they later decided against that plan because they did not want to kill him in front of his young daughters. Instead, Singer waited outside the restaurant where Morris worked. When Morris stepped outside for a smoke break, Singer stabbed him multiple times, then fled the scene. Morris died of his injuries, and Singer was arrested a few days later. Singer pled guilty last month to murder and tampering with evidence. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison and testified for the prosecution in Needy's trial. In Anchorage, Alaska, a man is now facing a second set of murder charges against confessing to police that he shot and killed a woman sometime between 2017 and 2018. 48-year-old Brian Smith was arrested earlier this month for the September 4th murder of Kathleen Henry, a 30-year-old woman whose strangulation and murder were recorded by her killer and discovered after a resident found an SD card in the street that was labeled Homicide at Midtown Marriott. The resident turned the memory card over to the police who recognized the voice in the recordings as Smith's, partly due to his South African accent. During questioning by police in that case, Smith also confessed to the shooting death of another woman. Police searched the area, Smith described, and they found the remains of 50-year-old Veronica Abuchuk, who was reported missing by her family in February. Abuchuk, who was homeless, had not been seen since 2018. Smith is facing numerous charges, including murder involving torture, sexual assault, misconduct involving a corpse, and tampering with evidence. He faces a mandatory minimum 99-year sentence if convicted. A St. Louis father was shot in front of his four children following a road rage incident, and two brothers are in custody for the shooting. 46-year-old Scott Thomas had pulled off to the side of the road to write down the license plate number of a red Mitsubishi he had some sort of road rage altercation with. Two men exited that vehicle and shot Thomas as his four children, aged three, 
6, 9, and 11, looked on. Thomas was shot in the chest and the side and was taken to the hospital. He is expected to make a full recovery. The two men arrested for the shooting are identified as 24-year-old Joseph Marino and 27-year-old Nicholas Marino. Police allege that Joseph Marino pointed a gun at Thomas and Nicholas Marino fired the three shots. Joseph Marino has been charged with unlawful use of a weapon and is being held on $20,000 bond. His brother has been charged with first-degree assault and armed criminal action, and his bond has been set at $75,000. Those were your true crime headlines. Up next, Robert Leroy Anderson and the search for Piper Striley. But first, a quick break. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, the story of Robert Leroy Anderson and the search for Piper Striley. A wad of duct tape, a vibrator, and half of a t-shirt with a logo reading Code Zero. Could these items found by the Big Sioux River near Baltic, South Dakota, help bring Piper Striley home? Piper Striley was 28 when she disappeared in 1996. She'd been living with her husband Vance and their two children, Shana and Nathan, ages two and three, in a trailer home in McCook County. The small, rural area sits on the southeastern part of South Dakota. Fewer than 6,000 people live in the county, most with German or Scandinavian roots. Lots of church-going people, plenty of hunters, not an area known for heinous crime. That summer, Piper ran a Bible camp for kids, something she and Vance did every year. Children gathered to sing songs, play games, and pray together. Little could anyone have imagined that the teacher, mother, and wife leading many of the activities would soon become the center of many people's prayers. On July 29, 1996, Piper's husband Vance woke up early to leave for work at 6.20 a.m., according to court records. When he left, everything in the home was in place. Something pretty remarkable for a family with two toddlers, but not out of the ordinary for this one. The Strileys may not have had a large house, but they took pride in caring for their surroundings and one another. Just before Vance left for his day job as a plumber, he and Piper arranged to talk before she left to work at Southeastern Children's Center in nearby Sioux Falls. He would call her at noon, they agreed, to find out where she had decided to leave the kids. This was the last everyday decision the couple would make together, and the final conversation they would ever have. Piper probably spent that morning, as many busy parents do, feeding the kids, making sure they were washed and ready for daycare, dealing with the kinds of shenanigans toddlers get up to. She arranged to drop Shayna and Nathan off with Mrs. Jornson. Shortly after 9.30 a.m., she phoned the sitter, letting her know they would arrive there soon. But minutes and then hours ticked by. And neither Piper or her children arrived. Piper never showed up at work either. At noon, Vance phoned as planned, expecting his wife to pick up. And when she didn't answer, he left a message on the answering machine. Honey, where are you? 
Surely there was a reasonable explanation. She had to unexpectedly step out or make other plans and would fill him in soon. But that afternoon, around three, Patty Sinclair, Piper's co-worker at the Children's Center, called to check on her. Why hadn't she shown up? Again, Piper didn't answer, but this time, one of her children did. Is your mom home? Patty asked three-year-old Shayna. No. Is your dad or a babysitter home? No. Then, very softly, Shayna said, They killed. Bye. And she hung up. Patty prompted another colleague to phone the McCook County Sheriff's Office, then called Shayna back, keeping her on the line with her until a sheriff arrived. When McCook County Sheriff Gene Taylor entered the Striley family home, he found Nathan stunned and silent. Shayna, quote, crying extremely hard, he'd later testify, and the family's Labrador chase alert. None of them were physically harmed, but Piper was nowhere to be found. The typically tidy home was in disarray, belongings strewn about as though a storm had blown through, motherless. Other than the mess, there were no signs of a burglary. Piper's purse and glasses remained in the home. She obviously hadn't left freely. There were signs of a struggle. A front porch step had been overturned, revealing the pointy ends of nails. And investigators found a pistol shell casing in the driveway. She didn't want her mommy to die, Shayna told the sheriff and a criminal investigator, Jim Stevenson, twice. The sheriff also recalled Shayna saying she didn't want her daddy to be hurt either. She described the kidnapper as a, quote, mean man, someone her mother knew who drove her away in a black car. The man had entered the trailer and grabbed her mother, she told police, and there had been a lot of yelling. Had the man taken anything else? Yes, according to Shayna, whose recollections came out in blurts between sobs. The man had stolen Nathan's blue tent, which he had received only the night before for his birthday. Piper told the kids to run and hide, Shayna recalled, and the man had a gun. Also missing from the home, Piper's t-shirt, displaying the words, Code Zero. When Vance arrived home, he tried to console his kids through tears of his own. Everything's going to be okay, but... Everything wasn't. Of that, Shayna had no doubt. Her mother was going to die, she repeated. She's not coming back. As the investigation moved forward, detectives took accounts from several witnesses. One passerby reported seeing a dull black truck or utility sport vehicle in the area that day. A couple who lived nearby noticed a man wearing jeans and a baseball hat walking from the trailer to a black Ford Bronco that had been parked in the driveway. They said he seemed nervous. Three days after Piper's disappearance, as the initial shock began to lessen, Vance recalled that a man had visited their home the previous Friday morning. The visitor hadn't raised any red flags at the time, but given what had happened, he now seemed highly suspicious. Vance shared this with detectives, providing their first strong lead in the case. He described the man as chubby, balding, friendly, and seemingly in his mid-twenties. He had introduced himself as Rob Anderson and offered Vance a limp handshake as little Shayna stood by watching. 
And here's one pretty foreboding thing about that visit. The man seemed surprised that Vance was home, according to the book Dark Dreams. A legendary FBI profiler examines homicide and the criminal mind. It was 7 a.m., and Vance normally left closer to 6.30. He also mumbled something about having driven past the Stryley home several times in recent months. Had he been watching Piper, tracking her every move, observing when she might be the most vulnerable? During the visit, the man had inquired about enrolling his kids in the couple's Bible camp. Vance told the man the camp had already finished for that year, but offered to add his name to the enrollment list for the next round. Piper jotted down his name and phone number. Police quickly confirmed the man's identity. He hadn't even lied about his name. Robert Leroy Anderson. Does that mean he hadn't fully intended to kidnap or harm Piper just a few days before? Or was he just that confident he'd get away with it? At the time, he was 26, married to his second wife, and the father of four kids. He worked the night shift as a maintenance man at a meatpacking plant in Sioux Falls. Investigators woke him up to bring him in for questioning. He drove himself voluntarily to the station and stayed calm during seven hours of interrogation. Meanwhile, under the carpeting of the back of Anderson's Bronco, officers found a plank of wood with holes drilled in it, obviously meant to restrain a person by the ankles or wrists. They also found a roll of partly used duct tape and dog hairs that matched the coat of Chase, the Stryley family dog. Even with all the evidence pointing straight at him, Anderson denied having anything to do with Piper's disappearance. He only admitted to having visited the family's home more than once, returning on the day Piper went missing, he claimed, because he hoped to use the family's archery range. But he hadn't even spoken to her, he said. He heard children's voices and, for some reason, figured Piper was taking a nap. So... He turned around and left. Also, while interrogation was happening, investigators found a pair of jeans in Anderson's laundry room, stained with blood and semen. They also found handcuff keys and black spray paint. One of Anderson's neighbors, Dan Johnson, told police he had seen Anderson meticulously cleaning the Bronco the morning of the 29th and again that afternoon. It now seemed clear that he had attempted to disguise his blue Bronco by spray-painting it black. In a lineup, both Piper's husband Vance and daughter Shayna identified Anderson as the mean man who had forcibly taken Piper, altering their lives forever. On the morning of August 26th, local police arrested him, charging him with kidnapping Piper. But Piper was still missing. Intense searches unfolded as hundreds of officers and volunteers from the community scoured Stryley's trailer and surrounding land for clues. When people came up empty, dogs helped in the search. A botanist, Gary Lawson, played an important role in identifying bits of vegetable matter from a toolbox found in the back of Anderson's Bronco. These particles came from black snake root and bone wart, Lawson determined, which grow along very particular stretches of the Big Sioux River. 
Now they had an area to focus on. They didn't find Piper there, but they did find items that would erase any doubt that he had not only kidnapped, but brutally harmed and likely murdered her. A wad of duct tape with hairs and traces of blood stuck to it, a vibrator, and half of the black and white t-shirt that read Code Zero. A reconstruction of events based on witness accounts and evidence told this story. Anderson drove to the Stryleys' home on July 29th, handcuffed Piper, took the slip of paper on which she had written his name and number, and carried her to the Bronco. He then drove her near the river, secured her to the wooden platform, gagged her with the duct tape, and assaulted, raped, then killed her, disposing of the body afterward. He then headed back to the trailer to retrieve a watch he had dropped as he struggled to kidnap the fighting woman. In May of 1997, a jury found Anderson guilty of kidnapping Piper Stryley, the wife, mother, camp leader, and caregiver. Two months later, he was sentenced to life in prison. On the day of the sentencing, the attorney general vowed that one day the man would face a homicide charge. In Dark Dreams, Roy Hazelwood, who spent 22 years in the FBI and investigated thousands of homicides, concluded that Anderson was a sexual sadist. What excites the sadist is the suffering of the victim, he wrote. It is true that sexual sadists use physical and or psychological pain to produce suffering, but the suffering is the most important thing to them. Hazelwood believes the man chose Piper well in advance and felt an overwhelming need to act out his aberrant fantasies. He said he could even guess what movies the sadistic killer liked, from Kiss the Girls to The Collector. Like other sadists, he was narcissistic and kept trophies from his murders. What he lacked, Piper Stryley seemed to have a lot of. Empathy, love and respect for others, and a shared spiritual faith that hopefully brings her family to this day some amount of comfort. Two years later, in 1999, a man named Jamie Hammer provided important information about the sadist. Jamie, who had known Anderson for years, spoke of his violent, predatory behavior and his obsession with torturing women. He also said that Piper wasn't his sole victim. Years earlier, the pair had concocted an abduction plan together. The victim's name was Amy Anderson, no relation to the suspect. They damaged her tires, and when she pulled over to change a flat, they grabbed her. But Amy broke free and flagged down a ride to safety. Her case went unsolved until Piper was kidnapped, and Anderson was linked to her kidnapping, too. Years earlier, in 1991, Anderson committed a crime even more heinous with another friend, Glenn Walker. They murdered Larissa Dumansky, a 29-year-old woman who had recently moved from the Ukraine to South Dakota with her husband in seek of a new life. She worked at the meatpacking plant alongside Anderson, where he made her a target. Walker testified that Anderson suffocated Larissa using duct tape, then buried her remains under a bush. And 
If it seems the story couldn't get more devastating, it does. Larissa was about six weeks pregnant when he took her life. On May 20th that same year, Walker guided investigators to Larissa's gravesite near Lake Vermilion. In 2002, according to an Aberdeen News article published at the time, Anderson's prison cellmate, Jeremy Brunner, reached out to the attorney general's office with information about his crimes. He said Anderson had boasted, bragging on and on and in plentiful detail, about the murders of both Piper and Larissa. The information was specific enough to further implicate the rapist, kidnapper, and killer. Finally, the attorney general would make good on his promise. Anderson was charged with the rape and murder of Piper Striley and Larissa Dumansky. That April 6th, a jury found Anderson guilty, then sentenced him to death by lethal injection. On March 30th, 2003, Anderson was found hanging by a sheet tied to a bar. He died by apparent suicide. Because some of Larissa's remains were eventually located, she had a burial, and the site holds a traditional gravestone that reads above her name, Beloved Wife and Mother. The remains of Piper, a beloved mother and wife herself, are yet to be found. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute. For exclusive content and early access, find the show on Himalaya.